0: Listening to Brave New Words, the book podcast. That's all about the books, all about the books, all about the books. Hey, baby, and I'm your host Ed Fortune, and I'm here with I'm Ross. So it's just the pair of us again today, and we will be talking about *Children of Earth and Sky* by Guy Gavriel Kay. And keeping in theme, we'll also be talking about *The Amazing Gum Girl,
1: Gum Luck*. there's G's and things going on here
0: there's one's about a girl who can turn into gum and the other one is about more complicated yeah things.
1: politics and in fantasy worlds <laughs> so uh, what we'll do now is we'll play Jingle across the world 24 hours a day
0: Jingle! if you by the way want us to promote your show let us know uh, you can get in touch with us at radio book on twitter you can find us on the super secret book club as well um, get in touch that's with on Serlo. facebook that's on facebook yes <laughs> um, and we've got an instagram uh, we probably have a MySpace page to be quite honest um, are we on uh, AOL <laughs> uh, send a pigeon send, you. Uh, send, yeah, send a raven uh, we've said this before send an owl oh we haven't had an owl in a while we haven't had an hour in a while in fairness but that's because none of us are you know Hogwarts students anymore mm. um, but anyway so um tell us about that book in your hand
1: uh, I have a book in my hand we, we've we've talked about this one before way way back when when brave new World started we judged some books by their covers and this is one of the books we judged by its cover I have in my hand the advanced review copy we looked at and I have in front of me, a picture of the actual book cover as it's now available in shops. So we can compare the two, and then we can talk about the actual story. <laughs> um, that's pretty close. Yeah, so the... the, the, so the I don't know, it's the sort of... Right, the, 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 let's not talk about that, I mean, people aren't going to find that one in shops, but um, so the, the version that's out now is we have, a, basically it's a picture of the sun in the sky.
0: Yeah, it's basically the art version, just prettier.
1: Yeah, um and the sun has a face as it does. it's it, the sun is not a character in the novel it, it, Okay. So it's, I, sh- I need to disappoint you straight away <laughs> it's
0: a... i wanted to work i wanted to find out why when the sun has his hat on hip 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 hooray how that works because surely the hat would just explode
1: yes yes because cuz it'd be a fire yes yeah, also the sun doesn't have hips
0: well, that's not, that's just a hip, it's just general hip, 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 hooray. Hmm. It's more that those sunglasses, Yeah. Um, firstly, those sunglasses would have to be huge and they would melt. And if they don't melt, then what they're doing is. Well, the is
1: sunglasses, th- they're supposed to protect. Yeah, I mean, if you're behind the sunglasses, then you would be shielded from some of the glare. But surely also, they, they'd filter away UV
0: radiation from, like, you know, the rest of the, the solar system. And that would be bad because you'd have less sun. Yeah. And also his hat's on fire, which is also not good
1: yes this is there th- there are many many important physical issues going on here
0: unless the the, the hat and the sunglasses are as yet un not understood stellar phenomena. That you know, someone like Stephen Hawking, maybe, or maybe, and if you are happen to be a passing astrophysicist,
1: um, you just happen to be passing by, yeah,
0: and, and you happen to know how the sun's hat actually works, we would be fascinated to, to hear that um,
1: at video program on Twitter. Uh, anyway, we've
0: gone off the topic, we've
1: uh, slightly yes, but um, right, I'm, I'm suspecting that the sun in the the face of the sun in question, the right, Gagarin has written a bunch of novels. This is this will this will not displease Dell, who, as we know, doesn't like jumping into the middle of a series. This isn't the middle of a series. It's, it, it's part. Of, it's another novel of a continuing world,
0: like the Discworld books. It's a book within a world, but you can start with it on.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think this one is. There are references to some of the earlier stories in this series. I think this one's set about a thousand years after the events of some of the previous no- a couple of the previous novels. I'm not a hundred percent on the exact continuity. So the, the, the f- novels which I believe are part of this previous series are... There's, he, Guy Gavke wrote a duology uh, called The Serentine Mosaic, which is Sailing to Sarentium and Emperor of Emperors, I think. Might be Lord of Emperors. There's a book called Last Light of the Sun, and there's another one called The Lions of Al Rassan. And the Children of Earth and Sky, I, I think, the fifth in this series... Um, the duology and the previous novels are all, in a sense, standalone. So while the duology has it's two novels, but they are, it is there are continuing characters from one to the other. These they are now make four independent stories, all set within this world. Um, and there are in the principle of of this book there are three major religions. There is uh, the god Jad, who is the god of the sun. There there are the Asherites, the, uh, the god Asher. I don't know if it's the god Asher, but the followers of Asher, uh, Ashar, and Ashars worship all of the stars. They believe all the stars are worthy of worship. And there's the Kindath religion, which basically focuses on the two moons around this world. And a lot of Guy novels tend to have a white moon and a blue moon as part of the theme. And, um, so it's possible that the sun with a face on the front of this cover is representative of Jad. And most of the characters on this novel are followers of that religion. But the novel sort of follows the how you live in a world with this with the politics of yet yeah, um we have in in this there is a city um which has been recently conquered by the Asherites in the last say thirty years and it's uh, it's been conquered by the Asherites and the Jadists are not fond of this they want, they want their city back. The story doesn't focus on a war to reclaim it but it, it but it focuses on the sort of city states of well we live in this country over here and yes that is one of our holy cities and yes we're not too keen on the fact you've got it but at the minute we've got our own problems and you're facing a war over there and we've got to contribute troops over there because that's an empire we're dealing with and we're dealing with this other empire to the west uh, I'm pointing in directions and I'm not quite sure why because it is terrible radio but we've got this empire to the west who we're dealing with we've got this empire to the north who are vast but they're dealing with most of the, off- of the war to the east and we want to send troops to them and we don't, really, and we don't want to you know, get on their bad side so we're kind of leaving that city alone for the time being and we've got our own little problems with the pirates who are just getting us, stopping us from being, getting across the bay and delivering our merchanting goods so there's a lot of how money trades hands and there's how not to lose face uh, and you know the political scandals which are going on while trying to respect the religions of you know, all these various powers, um, in terms of the actual characters, it's a lot of. There are quite you know, there are these are small characters who play their part in history, but it's I don't know. You, you, you imagine a lot of fantasy novels as this is the person who will take down the evil empire and so on. And it's because of, yes, there is sort of taking down of empires here or there, but these are people who were. Have their own little role to play in it, but aren't the whole of the story themselves. Um, so it begins with a, a city of intrigue. I think this is sort of an analogue to Italy of the Renaissance. Okay. Um, and there, the city is the rules of the city are a council who have their secret meetings on occasion. There are you know these are publicly known rulers but there are also some of them in, in this council, and they make certain decisions which will affect. You know, we are we are sending an ambassador to such and such. We are sending with them a servant who is a spy, that sort of thing. And in this case, they have arranged for an art. Uh, the 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 new lord of the of this far off city, uh, whose name I forget. There is a map in the front of the book. So during the most terrible radio, I will look at the map because it starts with a map. Maps are always nice. Maps We're are always maps. Oh, the city is now called Asharius or Asharius. That's a nice, map. Acharius, Acharius. That is like a nice map. map. It's a nice little map. Um, I, I'd want a version of that on my wall coloured in you know, with yeah coloured in it but it's not um, it's got a
0: sun the sun's got a moustache oh that's true the sun has got a moustache it's also on fire mm. it's the sun
1: and there are arrows pointing to places where other stories have been set so to the west there is Esperana in the west which is where Lines of Alrosan is set and there's Angles, Anglesin in the north I'm not sure how it right. is there are six f- consonants in a row that, <laughs> um, that's where the um, Last Light of the Sun is set far off to the north um, but yeah, we have the city, city of Asharius and the the new the new caliph, the new ruler, has said he would like a painting done in the Western style. So in the West, they have sent an artist to paint a portrait, and Guy Gavriel does this a lot. He focuses on the artists who move around. So in Tigana, he was focusing on minstrels moving around. In the Sarentine mosaic, it was mosaicists and their part in um, historical revolutions to some extent. In this, sorry, and in this. Nori, we are focusing on an artist he's one of the major characters of the story Is an artist who is tra- travelling to the east in order to paint a portrait and he is accompanied by a band of followers who will include some, some of them are spies, some of them are sent for other ends and they have adventures
0: so is it so, so hang on—is it like a fantasy <laughs> adventure novel, or is it just a travelogue, or I'm I'm confused as to the plot?
1: Yes, um, and I'm I'm not sure I'm explaining it very well either. But is it a fantasy bimble? It's it's a bit of a bimble. It's there are elements of fantasy in it because there are uh, there are I'll say ghosts for with word. One of the main characters can hear the voice of her grandfather who's been dead for the last year, and she's been able to hear him for that year. Um and he helps make her make some decisions about where she should go and sort of acts as a lookout, you know, and adds his experience to her her story. Uh, And there are other moments where sort of recently deceased people seem to be affecting the roles of characters in the world. And there is a knowledge of this other realm, but it doesn't play a massive role, I would say. So it, it links a, a number of characters together in ways they wouldn't have imagined. But generally, it's a sort of it's an alternate history of ours, if, if you like. It says this is the world of the Renaissance. This is the sort of politicking that would have gone on uh, as you're dealing with, you know, all these major decisions. This is how these, you know, how these people and how these countries sort of lean on each other and how effects happen. So it's an yeah, it's an alternative world in which. Politics and things still happen. It's you know it's a way, I suppose, of narrating.
0: So it's not filler. There's no political conspiracy or anything like that. Or is
1: it more? It's. So yeah, it's it's one of those. I don't know how to describe it. It's these are the characters who are involved. It's not. This is their story. That you you occasionally have these moments where a char- where you will find out what happens to a character twenty years after the events of the novel because it will suddenly, if you like, have a mini epilogue. For that character towards the end of a chapter. Uh, and you say, and that will give you a clue of, yeah, this person's story has ended as far as the overall narrative is concerned. So they've had their little mini epilogue. The rest of the characters will continue. So, so it's a complete world, and
0: this is these are major events that are happening through the eyes of ordinary people.
1: Yeah, a lot of the bit plays. I mean, they will the 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 back cover blurb. Um, you know, legends emerge is the thing. Is that this the, is the, is the it's but, an interesting
0: sort of approach isn't it where... yeah I
1: mean some of these people will go on to have significant power or gain influence I mean the the artist in question at the start of the story is a painter whose father was a painter whose father was well known as a painter but has, the father has passed on and he hasn't had and without giving his son he you like enough time to become well known enough to the world as this is my natural successor so he's he had a couple of commissions they've there's, there are reasons why they've not been as public as the you know as the amount of liked to have been the son has therefore got, you know, got to prove himself it's not exactly a coming of age story the, the, he's, he's you know he's old enough as an adult to know that his reputation isn't what it could be so he agrees to go to the east and paint this portrait
0: it's one of those interesting things something that i find fascinating about robin hall is that she'll write a novel uh set in the same world as another world, and they mentioned in passing the events of the previous books, and quite a lot of writers will do this. Mm. But when you think about it, if you set a, a novel in, say, during the Second World War, so the backdrop is the Second World War, but your novel is about um, an artist struggling to find love, Yeah. the actual interesting story is the Second World War, um, mm. and you're just telling another story, and I like it when they do that with a fantasy novel, where it's like, I'd quite like to read the story about, you know, during the War of the Ring, mm. what happens to this bard who's yeah. wandering around telling a particular tale and then suddenly gets accused of being a Ringwraith because, you know, he's got a cloak and he's wandering around and he's all mysterious and stuff. Mm. And then suddenly people decide that he's responsible for this horrible thing or that horrible thing. And, you know, his life is forever changed. By events I've got nothing to do with him, but he's still, you know, so on. My role in his downfall, sort of a, sort of a book. <laughs> oh God, I'm just imagining Spike Milligan having written that book. But, I, uh, I would love to see a, a foul biography where you know of that sort of, sort of kind of you know, my role in, in, yeah, so on. My role in his downfall, be hmm. um, quite fun. But yes. So do yeah, you recommend
1: it? I do recommend it. Um, it, I say, it is a little bit bimbly because you don't get the sense of these are the great figures, and obviously they don't know they're the great figures of their time. So there's no, but you, know, but there isn't, a, you know, you, there isn't that sense of well, this person's on the main cast. This, this person, you know, this person's got a, a credit as the main re- as a regular in the series. Therefore, they must be important. It's because of, no, they're, they're just as important as everybody else. It's just that none of the others realize they're not on the, you know, the, the, the dramatis personae at the beginning of the novel.
0: It's a damning thing, especially about the modern age, it's a damning thing you can turn around to someone, isn't it? It's just like, you do realise you're not a major character. What? But I'm making a lot of noise on the internet. Yeah, you're still not a main character. This guy who's just, you know, discovered the, the cure for this, or this person who's quietly getting on doing this sort of work, history remembers them? You're just a guy who posted a car show and annoyed people? or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. the
1: the nice thing about sort of the fantasy worlds like this is that you can tell the the story how you want to. You're not forced to tell it as it happened historically. So you, this is a story which is influenced by renaissance, it, you know, mediterranean. I'm I'm assuming from the from, among things the map and you know, description of coastal seas and things. But um you don't have to, you know, if it was was a Second World War story, you don't have to worry about it. Well, the story is, okay, we're getting to this point in 1945 where we really want to tell sort of the winter of the continuing war in 1945 and into the war of 1946. Because, yeah, but you can't do that the Second World War ended in 45. Yes, but it's my novel. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, by setting it in a in an alternate in, world like that, you can get away with it.
0: Is the problem with Kerry Greenwood's novels is she's written herself into a corner because the books are supposed to end before the Great Depression's Starts Right. And unfortunately, she's now got like two months left and it's <laughs> just like, get some more medicine because it's about to end. <laughs> sort of thing. But yeah.
1: Um, So, uh, good read, long read? Uh, it's it's a long read. It's it's taken, well, it, it, we when we, when did the first Brave New Words come out? The, to be fair, it's not this book which has taken me this long to get around to reviewing it. I've been trying to read some other Guy Gabriel K novels, which I haven't managed to, which I've been, you know, I bought... Uh, River of Stars, and it'll be on his previous um, list. River of Stars was the, the and Under Heaven, and I, I've, I've managed to read one of those, and then I'm halfway through the other one, and I've gotten a bit stuck, which is why I switched to this novel to see. five hundred
0: six hundred pages, depending on the edition, and too heavy to comfortably balance on a bunny
1: rabbit. I think is how we can describe that. Uh, that that's a, that sounds like a scale that will become in useful in more than, more than one episode.
0: I, I suspect there's going to be an ongoing scale of a, can i taught talking a book so that we can comfortably balance on a bunny rabbit, though it doesn't like the smell
1: of this one. Um, that was a that was a crafty segue. It, and I enjoyed it very much, and you should do it again.
0: Yes, thanks for thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> um, but yes, so I've got in my hand the amazing Gum Girl, in her Adventure Gum look. Um
1: This. Is this a pun on Dumb Look? Is it, yeah.
0: yeah it took me uh, dumb when Gabby look. Gomez chews gum, something amazing happens. Oh she turns into a stretchy, super sticky superhero. There's just one problem. Gabby promised her parents that she'd never chew gum again. I know. But it's Banana Man, but with a girl
1: and parents. It's Bubblegum Girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: it's uh, the Amazing Gum Girl. What are you talking about? Basically. But there's an <laughs> evil in town cooking up an evil recipe for revenge. Will Gabby be able to tell her parents the truth and save the day? Will she be able to give up gum? And her life as a bubble-blowing superhero for good! Road to show Show um, delivers another flavour-packed adventure bursting with humour and suspense. Get ready for the one, the only Gum Girl! So this is... not Entirely the opposite thing. <laughs> it's not it's not even the opposite thing, it's in, in a different shelf, in a, possibly yeah. a different shop. It's a kid's book, um, as we can tell, uh, because it's a kid's book. It smells of bubblegum. It smells of bubblegum. Uh, that's amazing radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we've we've just put the pages at the microphone <laughs> and yes, it smells of bubblegum. And it's 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 about Gabby's gummies and powers. It's um, in colour. It's it's in it's pink. It's a pink. It's very pink. Um, but yes, uh, she drives apart. her her father is unfortunately a dentist he's always checking for you know cavities, which is unfortunate because when she chews gum, she gets the power of gum, right? So she's stretchy, she's malleable, she's practically indigestible. Um, she smells delicious uh, and
1: she's got a super stretchy gumming up works power. I was going to say, if she has been chewing gum well I'm not sure it would require a dentist to be able to tell that she's been doing so. But yes, she can blow... It,
0: I've, I've just flipped to the transformation scene where she pops it into my mouth Nom, 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 nom and There are lots of illustrations It's a very, very illustrative novel so essentially, and, and she's in black and white up until the moment she, No, no yeah, She's bat, she's basically, she's black and white and she's and then she Chews and she suddenly and she becomes pink. more pink and then she blows whoosh blows a huge bubble gum and then she jumps into the bubblegum and then she's the in gum girl and she's all gummy. Um and then she can stretch and turn into a little wall of gum and she can stop speeding car by gumming up its works because she has gum powers and there's a picture of her being hit by a banana because she's being attacked by monkeys. Um and yes Banana Man the villain. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're monkeys. There's a rhino in this one there's a rhino on the run but oh no she doesn't have access to the gumballs oh no the the monkeys are eating the gum and they're flinging them at her has um, she got to find a gumball machine she's got to find a gumball machine otherwise her powers won't work won't because the news
1: agent is banned her because her parents have sent a note
0: exactly <laughs> uh, she 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 can't <laughs> there's a giant robot she's going to have to gum it up luckily she's in her gum mode otherwise that would have been hor- horrible and not. yeah that would, that would be a yeah um so yeah it's the Gumazing Gum Girl is this a standalone oh, no there's a series ok um, there will be more which is this one <laughs> uh, but is this is the, the first this is Gum Luck um,
1: oh, there is a two on the spine I've
0: noticed <laughs> there, there is another one uh, which is Gumazing uh, Gum Girl Choose Your Destiny <laughs> <laughs> is that interactive it's not oh. um, I, am, I, I am hoping that someone will create a choose your own adventure however for this book um, it's on Hyperion Books it's by Disney and it's everything we kind of expect from modern Disney to be honest um, there's a touch of foreign language in there there's a touch of there, there's, it's fun basically it's a fun kids book uh, is it like Hilo? no Hilo is kind of a different sort of cheeky fun but it's the same sort of thing um,
1: yeah from the from the looks of this I think this is a little bit younger I think Hilo was a li- how no. is was aimed at eight to upwards year olds. This is maybe a little bit younger. Yeah. Um, Not the kind of people who. Because was a bit aimed at sl- people who know there's some humour for that slightly older than them.
0: Yeah, the, and,
1: a book that's slightly more suitable for,
0: for the, the, an older audience as well. Yeah. This um, looks a bit more directly for for the kids. This me. is more the book that you can get a kid to start reading it because you go, it smells of gum. Look, it's, it's got a gummy smell. Um, it has. It's got a gummy smell. It's all gummy.
1: In it's smell. better than you. Know, the other thing that smells of gum, which is gum. Yes, I quite like gum, but it's bad for your teeth. Well, no, no yeah, that's my point. It's, it's, yeah. This is but this is what you can if they, if they get on the smell of gum, they can have this instead of the gum. So the fact that her arch nemesis appears to be
0: a I chef and a giant chef robot, because obviously the arch nemesis of appetite of appetite suppressant gum is cooking. No, that doesn't make sense I don't care it's fun it's, it's silly. fun yes it's, it's very, very to the bad guy. <laughs> Um and the bad guy is a comedy chef which is with monkeys and a rhino with monkeys and rhino his monkeys and also rhinos I have picked up the wrong device um, shall we talk about books that are coming out we can do so um, there are obviously there are always plenty of books that are coming out um, they keep doing that it's shocking isn't it you think they're, they're, they've learned keep it in now. the closet no, <laughs> no! Don't keep don't keep your books in the closet. You keep towels in the closet. Put the books on the shelf. Yes. Right. So, what's coming out? Um, Assassin's Fate fits and the Fool Book Three by Robin Hobb. Um, Ooh, is the third part of her latest series, which involves Fitz and the Fool, and this is the one that starts to tie together the land of the Elderlings, uh, the whole stuff from the Life Ship Traders books. Um, what's going on with the dragons and the, the live ship wood stuff all of that um, uh, essentially Fitz is going to head towards the Rainwild River, onto the Power Isles, all of that all will finally be revealed also Lots what, of weaving together. what the heck's going on with B, which is his daughter <laughs> the whole shebang um, finally, 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 finally towards the end which is cool Mm. We talked about this on the last show very briefly Bruen and Lufian. all coming out um, by J.R.R. Tolkien still releasing books to this day despite the fact that he's been dead for some time yeah. um, actually it's been edited by Christopher Tolkien his son who mm. is also his archivist and it's been illustrated it's illustrated by um, Lord of the Rings uh, movie illustrator and general illustrator Alan Lee now Beren and Luthien if you're a massive Tolkien fan you'll already know this uh, Beren and Luthien on the um, gravestone of Tolkien because he's buried next to his wife right um, is um, Buren and Luthien okay Buren and Luthien being the great love story of the the middle earth saga he told the story many many times in many many different ways but it's essentially the story of a um, human mortal man who falls in love with an elvish princess. Okay. And their love story and their separation and their heartache. Um, and yes, it's repeated as a motif. Yeah,
1: I, I was just wondering whether or not it was sort of, I don't know what the phrase based on a true story. I wasn't thinking sort of um, allegorical. Uh, totally in... Totally in it's not, it's not a sort of Tolian, analogy for his his relationship
0: with his wife. Totally moved his his the woman who had become his wife, and um, there were complications. Um, where essentially they were very young. Hmm. Um, her, her guardian essentially forcibly separated them. He went off to serve them the war, came back, and he basically said, "Still love you." And she was like, well, kind of in the process. And they, they ended up together. Long mm. story short, they ended up together. There's more to it than that, but mm. you know, it's worth finding out the story yourself, to be honest, rather than me bimbling on and saying this happened and that happened. I'm probably getting some of the facts wrong. But, yeah, they, it's, it, he had in his life an actual love story. That was how he met his wife. And it's clearly the inspiration for the, the great layers and love stories that he wrote, wrote yeah. into
1: his work. That was Yeah, that was basically the question I was asking
0: um, Tata Malian, uh, which is by uh, Sylvia V. Linsett and Remus Stein, is coming out in May as well it's on Unbound which is Unbound's kind of like a crowdfunding book service you like know, right, write a yeah. book and you get it printed uh, Stuart Ashens has got one coming out he's got a sequel Sequel to I think this one's called Flickering Ghost Skeletons or something like that um, but it's a sequel okay. to all uh, games you've never heard about uh, his first book Old games you've never you've never heard of um is full of bad old games, terrible old games you never heard of. he's right. doing a sequel, which is terrible old games you never heard of too. And it's 8-bit games, rather than E.T. and all that nonsense. It's 8-bit European console and home computer games. Right, okay. Because it was during a time where anyone could write a computer game fairly easily if they needed a language. And most people shouldn't have. <laughs> Okay, yep. So the, the there's an awful lot of very badly designed, very badly thought out games which people can be appropriately hilarious about. Um Tacdomalion, uh, anyway, is also on unbound. Uh, it's a post apocalyptic book. Um but it's like a post apocalyptic fantasy folklore novel. So it's, like, it's it's kind of like the way it, I was looking at Malian, and the way it looks like is it looks like a series of prog rock covers. Where well, it's like a post apocalyptic world which has turned into a fantasy world, sort of a thing. Okay. Like everything has become twisted and strange, so it's, mm. it might as well be a fantasy world. And you've got your know, weird meat and mus- mushrooms and this sort of thing. And the <laughs> tale is apparently weird and mm. th- looks good. Uh, talking of weird, there's Waffle Weird, which is the, uh, a tale of a British town uh, that's been left alone by f- since uh, Elizabeth I. Okay, so it's been left to its own devices, and it's just kind of this weird kind of twin pixie incestuousy weird kind of town where people go and vanish, and art is strange and things are strange and there's a murder, obviously. Hmm. And obviously. obviously, that's very, very odd. Um, talking of something that is not that odd. Um, Porn The uh, Chronicle of Civil's War uh, is the latest Timothy Zahn book Right um, Timothy Zahn just poops out novels these days he always has uh, this one is kind of fun though so a bunch of kind of space bombs two space bombs Right get looking for a job get a job um in um in this alien spaceship called the the Fiantha um and it's chilling out but it turns out there's this really kind of complicated politics within the spaceship and they become the kind of because they're the only humans they become the focus for all this sort of weird alien politics and mm. stuff going on and all they kind of want to do is chill out and have a quiet life so, so it's the first of a series and it's called Porn so presumably they um, they are people who are moved by events that they cannot control but, right but the he's on so it's going to be space opera at the same time so mm. Mm, kind of Kind of like almost the opposite of Guy Gavriel Kay from the side of things, but there we go. Um, Chris Ritt has written a new Black Library novel. Ooh, uh, it's coming out in for me. It's called The Carrion Floor, Vault of Terror. Um, yes, so Black Library, Black Library is sort of back, in the sense that, right, as I understand it, Black Library had some management issues has had has had some management issues for the last couple of years. So whereas it used to have this massively impressive kind of bunch of books coming out, and there were books coming out, and they were all, all, most of them were really good and really interesting, and there was this was kind of big, chunky back catalogue of interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. And now it's kind of gotten a bit. The 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 fire went out. Really, it did for a little while. They've they've. They've been mining the idea of let's bring out a limited edition version of a book we sold, we, we first released a decade ago, uh, but we'll bring out a, a lovely trilogy version with, with lovely, gorgeous-looking hardbacks. Um, and I don't know if that's part of the the this, this, the the management of the issues or the, the fixing of it.
0: I think it was a nice way of making your quarterly report look more profitable. than it might have actually been. Um they did seem to have a startlingly reluctance to play, pay a certain quality of writer, if you say I mean they tend to pay quite low for they 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 did a talent scan mm. and and the thing about really talented writers is once they get printed a couple of times and do work for hire, they then go on to write for other people for better money mm. and quite a bit of that happened. And the worlds are really interesting, and the worlds are really good.
1: It's it's not clear how many of those authors may have also gotten caught up in this management issue. because I've, yeah. I've read about some of the stories here.
0: Some of them, some of them do seem to. Have just well, names
1: to, names haven't been mentioned.
0: And some of them do seem to have just gotten fed up with it and then moved on to other things, which is a pity because they had some really good stuff. But it's nice to see Chris Wright back. Mm. Um, it's nice to see this is a book set with the Inquisition and set on Earth so it's nice to see. you don't really get many books set on holy terror
1: no they're, they're doing that with a couple of things I think in the near future
0: and they're slowly but surely starting to bring the brand back, brand back and hire new talent I understand that pretty much the people behind it are almost all different now as well Ooh, so okay. there are a lot of people have moved on to other things hmm. so interesting and exciting things for Black Library. they could if they can resurrect the spark they had where they were genuinely interesting, doing genuinely new stuff in Thai and fiction, which was unheard of, that would be really exciting. Yeah. If it continues to be writing projects for people who are already staff members of Games Workshop and essentially elaborate toy adverts, I'm still not interested. Um, There's some amazing books that they've done that I really love. I think are fantastic. And there are some books that are out there that are essentially...
1: Commercials for the latest Warhammer model. Yeah, we we possibly could do with devoting an entire episode to discussing this kind of thing.
0: We could, uh, we could get around. What we should do is read a whole order of the new stuff, or a whole order of the old stuff, and see if we can interview Ian Watson. That'd be fun.
1: <laughs> that would please them immensely.
0: Well, he doesn't work for them anymore because he's more That's interested in writing really weird science fiction. Um. Um. All the books that are coming out. Um, talking of weird science fiction, no, it's not really. It's not <laughs> science fiction at all. I'm just looking at what else I've got here. Uh, slain the Britannia Club Chronicles, Psycho Pump, more slain, more slain yeah. all the time. two thousand eighty, slain mm-hmm. guy of an axe, punching stuff, always entertaining.
1: So is that novels or, or it's, comic it's
0: books? Comic books, yeah, a comic book. Uh, there have been
1: slain
0: novels. There have been actually, haven't there? Uh,
1: have they been? Yeah, because there, you because know, when 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 Solaris was an extension of Black Library, which oh, was was yeah, part of the publishing, they did slain novels, I think.
0: Yeah, they did Judge Shred novels as well. Al Ewing wrote some Judge Shred novels that were surprisingly good. I say surprisingly good. Al Ewing's really good. But right. you you're just kind of expecting something more pulpy. And he actually got really into it. Uh, Sarah Lotz is a new horror novel. It's called The White Road. It's about a guy called Simon Newman who's a extreme sports person and they look out on YouTube and do some really cool extreme sports stuff and become really famous and then they decide to um, do an Everest journey. Right. The book's called The White Road and the reason it's called The White Road is because the path of Everest is strewn of corpses. Yep. Um, That's as people go up there and fail. Mm. Yeah. So yeah Sarah Lotz though Sarah Lotz is very good with death and she oh. tends to put death front and center in her novel she's a horror writer okay and um, and she's one of those things cuz I've talked about this before but one of the the differences between cuz horror and crime are the same genre just different ends of the same spectrum cuz mm. the genre is
1: death yes one one of them tends to be before it happens, one of them tends to be after it happens,
0: ish, but it's more our relationship and our fear of death, so mm. um so the white Road is a book that has death front and center because it's about a guy who's about to go up a mountain whilst also being haunted. It seems okay, the implication is that there's something else going on in his life, mm. and it sounds like a haunting or it might not be. he might just be crazy. It sounds like that sort of angle right from the blurb, that's what the angle sounds like. I really like Um, they have a lot of stuff we reviewed uh, the three a while ago that was quite good Um, but and this is not the four so that's that's (laughs) disappointing but yeah it's kind of she tends to take very creepy concepts and then put them front and centre and then the rest of it it just makes you go blah quite good she's very good at that sort of thing in a very kind of practical sort of way Um, but yes um, horror horror is our stories about death crime novels are stories about death there's normally a murder in them mm. um, they're just different approaches to the same thing because um, horror and crime also are things that can be mixed into anything yeah um, So there's there's not that much superhero horror that's that's front and centre that I can think of on the top of my head
1: if you can think of any write in
0: yeah at Radio Book I'm trying to think there's, there is stuff out there hmm but I wouldn't call it a horror story. I'd call it a superhero story with horror elements. Whereas, you know, there's not really... I mean, you, you okay? You kind of get the Greenland stuff where you've got lots of zombies and this sort of thing, and you've got Marvel zombies. But I was thinking that,
1: of Watchmen and Nuclear War, but...
0: Yeah, that's a strong horror element, isn't it? It's pretty, yeah. pretty dark. Um, but it's a superhero story first, and it just feels... Yeah, that's actually an interesting point, isn't it? Everyone's like... No, oh, The Watchman's really grown up. Yes, that's a horror story. Hmm. It's actually still a genre. It's not changed that much, except that's being incredibly unfair to Alan Moore, Uh, I suppose. But I don't mind being unfair to Alimur, to be quite honest. He's an incredibly talented, incredibly storied, incredibly you know well-known author who can who can produce anything he wants and have it sell. I'm quite happy to be unfair to his work. Some of it's rubbish. Miracle Man is pants. I just want to say. By the way, it's it's all right for its time, and it was groundbreaking for its time. But it, he he was very lucky that it wasn't reprinted for a very long time. Miracle Man, we'll do a show on Miracle Man, and I'll talk about Miracle Man at length. But I'll have to reread it again. But yeah. the th- thing is, Miracle Man, um, Marvel Man was a superhero character from the 60s, and very childlike, very kind of fun. Mm. Um, and Almo was essentially hired to to do a grown-up version. And he did a grown up version, and it's interesting, and Watchmen is better. Right. And there's a bit of Margaret Thatcher that doesn't really make sense, it's a bit childish. Um, and it's alright, but it's not brilliant. If mm-hmm. you said I mean And it also kind of pulls the ball from your eyes as to the trick, because Alma is all about the remixing. Yeah. Uh, Grant Morrison is all about the fresh beats that are very familiar. He takes your grandfather's beats and then puts a better backing track to them Moore just takes the old songs and remixes them he's just a remix artist um, and there's that conversation about Grant-Murse, And Grant Morrison and Alamur do very similar things and some people think that Grant Morrison is brilliant because he's taken old tunes and made them fresh and other people think that Moore is brilliant because he's taken, old, he's taken things that you've never heard of and made them amazing uh, it's the same thing really just slightly different styles that's a different conversation. And of course, feel free to say that I'm wrong at program on Twitter and all the rest of it as well.
1: We should say, for the sake of balance, you should also feel free to say that he's right. You don't have to say that he's wrong, it's uh, not compulsory. It's a fair point. Um, I will quite happily bimble on about,
0: you know, anything. occultism, uh, <laughs> anything. But, uh, you know, m- <sighs> mythic storytelling, magic, and Alan Ryan Morrison and postmodern comic storytelling. There you go. Lecture at 5pm uh, in the bar. Buy me a drink first. Um, shall we... Oh, should we talk to an author first? We should talk to an author. Not about Alan Moore. Okay, so this is a lovely author. Nicholas Eames, welcome to Brave New Words.
2: Thanks for having me. And tell us about your new book, please. Uh, so Kings of the Wild uh, is... A fantasy adventure novel, hopefully pretty uh, humorous one as well, uh, that is about um, a band of mercenaries that is very, well, not so very loosely allegorical of a rock band. Uh, But they're a mercenary band who used to be the most famous uh, bunch of fighters in the world. They've all kind of since gone their separate ways and retired, and now one of them uh, has a daughter who is trapped in a city under siege, so is attempting to get the old band back together to go rescue her.
0: Where did the idea of Fantasy Heroes as a rock band come from?
2: I wish I knew. Just one day, I don't know if I was listening to a certain kind of music or something, and just the idea of band-band occurred to me, and I thought, this has definitely been done before, and I looked it up and Googled it, and it didn't seem that anyone really, really had, so I decided to tackle it myself.
0: What is it about the mix between... Because there is an association between... Rock music and fantasy. Where does that come from?
2: Uh, I don't know. I think a lot of it was when you look at a lot of those albums of the 70s and the 80s, uh, their covers, so many of them were fantasy inspired. And two, even if you go further back to pick the bands like Led Zeppelin, I mean, they've got Tolkien lyrics or Tolkien lines in their lyrics and did a lot of fantasy elements. They did a, a Madison Square Garden concert where it's interdispersed like scenes of them playing with these fantasy scenes of wizards and snakes and crystal balls. So I think it's always been kind of intertwined.
0: Why is fantasy back? Why is it so popular
2: now? And fantasy and rock, or just fantasy in general? Fantasy in general. Oh, I think these days just we've had so many phenomenal authors, like yeah we've got people like robert jordan and george r R. martin who kind of kicked the door open again in the in the 90s and started making fantasy that wasn't very typical quest fantasy which is exactly what i've written but uh we started to have authors like joe Abercrombie and uh scott lynch and patrick rothfuss and uh delilah s dawson who have written stories that are really like contemporary uh and just well written and emotional and books that you can give to non fantasy readers and get them into it anyway despite the fact that they think they might not be their thing. With uh, Kings of the Wild, did you stop and
0: like compare various characters to real world rock heroes? I mean, who is Clay Cooper if he was a if he was a rock hero and uh, he's the drummer.
2: Well, Clay was probably the most, like, I didn't exactly have anyone based on him. The drummer is 100%. Um, God, his name's eluding me at the very, very moment. The drummer for Led Zeppelin. Okay. I can't remember recall his name. Uh, but so much based on him. In, in fact, when I wrote, uh, Matrick is, the, is the, the, dr- the character's name who's based on the drummer. And uh, when I wrote his major fight scene in the book, I just put the song Moby Dick on repeat. All day while writing it. So, what's next? Uh, well, the whereas the first book kind of emulates the the kind of raw exploratory music of the nineteen seventies and the in the late sixties. The second book kind of moves it, the world of itself ahead a few years um, and starts to explore what music kind of became in the 80s and what that scene kind of became in the 80s, which was, at least to me, um, trying to emulate and do better than the than the people that came before them. So things got louder, things got crazier, they started painting their faces, dyeing their hair, uh, pushed themselves past the limits of what they should have and sometimes paid a pretty heavy price for it. Um, and then a lot of the music, too, was also very, like, hard on your sleeve, um... Whereas a lot of music these days is very defensive, I find. Music in the 80s was just, you put yourself out there and you didn't care about saying you had a broken heart and that you weren't strong enough to deal with it. You just kind of were were pretty open about it. So hopefully the second book is moving to somewhere a bit more bombastic uh, than the first one, and perhaps more destructive.
0: How many books did you write before this book was written? I don't mean published, I mean in general.
2: Yeah, I I actually just wrote the one. I wrote a I wrote a big fat fantasy book. Um I worked on it for about 12 years all told. Um and started submitting it and I got some positive feedback from it, but obviously no no uh, takers. Um and then I ended up splitting it in half and refining the first book and I actually came up with the idea for Kings of the Wild. Um A year before I started writing it in earnest, I came up with it, I wrote the first three chapters, which remain pretty much unchanged as to what they are today, and then put it aside for another year as I worked on my other book, because I just thought it was definitely going to be the one. And then eventually, while I sent that out the next time, I kind of uh, made myself feel better about getting rejected a lot by writing something new. And as I was writing this something new, I realized that I learned a lot of lessons from that old book. And for the first time, probably, I was writing with my own voice as opposed to trying to emulate the authors who I uh, who I loved so much. So, it definitely felt like a night and day experience.
0: Will you ever return to those original works, or have you learned your lessons and are now won't to have to rewrite them?
2: Well, it would probably have to be largely rewritten. I mean, I, I have go back gone back and read some of it, and parts of it I am exceedingly proud of. I mean, I was working on it. And I was capable as I was at the end, as I was at the beginning of Kings of the Wild, but it just had a lot of flimsy ideas. It was like this this mammoth standing on top of teacups that couldn't really hold it up. Um, And plus, I pilfered a lot of names from it, so I'd have to change those too. (laughs) Um, does, Does
0: a writer's work ever stop? Do you ever see a point where you will stop writing?
2: Um... I think I'll probably always plug away at it. Um, I mean, a lot of it depends on whether, or, you know, depending on when I can make a career of it, isn't necessarily up to me. Um, but I'm sure as heck going to try. Um, what I'd I'd really like to do is, like, ultimately write, a, like, I, I'm able to write at my own pace um, as opposed to anyone else's and explore some other kinds of writing. I'm, I'm a pretty huge fan of video games. Uh, And I would really, really, really love to write uh, for video games someday as well.
0: Do you think the way we're going to tell stories in the future is going to change, uh, given the way that technology has changed? Or do you think there's always going to be room for a good old-fashioned storytelling? Uh,
2: I definitely think there will be always room for good old-fashioned storytelling. I think around the late 2000s, there was definitely everyone kind of tightened their belts a little bit. Uh, Stories got shorter... Uh, things got a bit more like, uh, just based on like what had succeeded before, where I think nowadays, uh, people are starting to expand a bit more and take a few more chances, um, with what they're willing to publish. Um, and so, yeah, and, and just in general, people love books. I mean, yeah, bookstores took a hit, but they're, they're coming back, I think.
0: What um, what stories inspired you to write?
2: Uh, a huge part of what inspired me to write was the book The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. Uh, it was probably the first book I ever read, and I have lots of books that I are my like that I love more than that book. But that was the first book I ever read where nothing in my life mattered as much as. Continuing to read that book, usually I'll won't mind. I'll watch some TV shows or read or play some video games, and books will I'll read them when I got the time. But I read that book, and I was just like, nothing else matters. Uh, and the same goes for Ready Player One, uh, which was a really, really huge influence because that book is so much a love story to the things that that writer loves: uh, '80s music, '80s video games, things like that. And when I read that book, I was I just thought. I would love to try to write something like this, where it didn't so much matter if the person coming to the story also loved those things, but that the passion the story was told with bled through, and uh, made perhaps the reader fall in love with those things a bit more.
0: There's lots of uh, franchises out there. There's Star Wars. There's Halo. There's you know there's a pile uh, a pile of you know, Warhammer. There's piles and piles of different worlds that people writing and playing if there was a single world that you got to play in someone else's sandpit, what would it be?
2: Um, well, these days I would have to go with good old Lord of the Rings. Uh, just yesterday I found some old art books of mine downstairs, and I was leafing through some of these old paintings, and, and it was just beautiful. and uh, Plenty of peaceful and beautiful places in that world where you don't necessarily have to be involved in fighting or intrigue.
0: Um. Some odd questions just to kind of round round this all off if you don't mind yeah of Um, course firstly um, if you got to rescue one piece of art and it can be anything um, and that would survive until the end of time basically the end of the sun yeah um, what would it be
2: okay can I give a slight two part answer on this of course uh, I feel like I should shut out my favorite book of all time, which is Guy Gabriel Kay's Lord of Emperors. It's part two of a series, but I consider it the greatest book ever written by a human being. Uh, that said, I would save a Final Fantasy video game. <laughs> um, because I think Final Fantasy, and I've been contending this, not really to anyone out loud, but for a long, long time, is the summation, I think, of human creativity, and some people may be like you're an idiot, but uh, it there's so much beautiful, beautiful art involved. Whether it's the art that makes it into the game or the art that was uh, part of the concept, unbelievable music. Uh, the only time I've ever been to the symphony i have been to see Final Fantasy, and I've seen it multiple times. Uh, and although the writing can be hit or miss sometimes, the storytelling itself and the characters uh, are beautiful, and they stick with you for a long, long time. So I think all told. Um, you know, if if the human race gets wiped out and aliens come and pick up a Final Fantasy game, uh, like Final Fantasy 6 probably for instance, they'd be like, "Okay, these people weren't so bad after all." If you could
0: write like any other author and have their same kind of level of scope, who would that be?
2: Uh it's tempting to say Guy Gabriel K because he's the the author who I most admire. Uh, but now that I've written something that's that's humorous, I I kind of like it. And I think that humor can affect people in a different way. So, yeah, I'm going to say maybe Scott Lynch or Joe Buckrombie at their best.
0: And three very silly quickfire questions just to finish off. Mm-hmm. Um, Simpsons or Futurama?
2: Ooh, I didn't watch near as much of them as either one as I should have, but probably Futurama. Um, rock gods or Norse gods? Oof. Well, who would win in a fight, Jimmy? Or who do I like <laughs> more? Both. That's, a, that's a, uh, Let's go with the Norse gods. Because they probably did everything the rock gods did, but would win in a fight.
0: And finally, truth or beauty? Oof. Beauty. And Nicholas Eames, thank you very much for your time.
2: Thank you so much. They were
0: lovely. They were. That, I'm not surprised. We we never have not lovely authors on. But that was really nice and refreshing. Um, I really need a cup of tea. Tea's good. So, we're going to go and have a cup of tea. You're probably going to listen to the next show, and if not, then well... But you should get a cup of tea. Get a cup of tea. Get a cup of tea. If you listen to this on the Tube and you're about to go into work, get a cup of tea. It's a really good idea. If you don't like tea try coffee if you don't like coffee try hot chocolate if you don't like hot chocolate try Coca-Cola if you don't like Coca-Cola try iron beer if you like none of that have a glass of water okay if you don't like water oh my goodness say that. Um I'm glad we don't get sponsorship from drink companies <laughs> if you're a gin company and you want to sponsor us <laughs> you really should cause we're yeah we, 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 we're very good at uh, covering gin absolutely gin, vodka hardspots but gin mostly gin and iron bro I'd be very happy with we've gotten off the topic I'm going to leave and have a drink so it's goodbye from me at Fortune and it's goodbye from Ross uh, keep reading and goodbye